Growth is a good thing. With kids, we, we want that, don't we? Yes. Thank you. One parent in here said yes. <laughs> growth is a good thing. Physical growth is good. And the DJ and Elizabeth are going to be gone for six weeks, and when they get back, Gwen is going to be quite a bit bigger. We will notice that. Growth is a good thing. Even in the times where our kids aren't growing as fast as maybe the doctors say they should, you know, the growth charts and the percentages, uh, they still grow. Wesley, uh, Tyler and Stacia's kid, is a bigger kid now than when he was born, right? Yes. Yes. Good. We are here this morning. In the last six, seven months, I've had several of you tap me on the shoulder and say, did you notice that Sam is growing? <laughs> I have noticed. Did you know he's going to pass you soon? Yes. <laughs> I have noticed. Growth is a good thing. We want that in our kids. Amen? Amen. We want growth. We want the same thing spiritually. We want to grow, don't we? <laughs> At least three of you said it that time. It, we want to grow spiritually. We don't want to be in the same place spiritually as we were a year ago. We want to get closer to God. We want to become more like Christ. If you don't want to grow spiritually, you might be in the wrong place this morning. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Spiritual growth is what we want. So how do we grow spiritually? Is there some sort of secret sauce? Is there some sort of long-standing, we've been doing it forever, church tradition that's going to guarantee our growth? Is there some sort of spiritual discipline? Because just saying that sounds cool. Is there some sort of spiritual discipline that if we do it long enough and hard enough that we're going to be guaranteed growth? Listen, these are questions that not just we are asking, but that have been asked for centuries upon centuries. And thankfully, Scripture speaks to these. Before we dive in, let's ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Lord God, every time we open scripture, we, we come expecting, or at least we should come expecting. This morning we do. We want you to speak. We want our hearts to be in tune with what you want to say. We want our ears to be able to hear what you want to, what you want to say. And Lord, we want to learn. We want to grow. So would you help us do that this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we grow spiritually? Is there a secret sauce? Is there a long-standing church tradition? Or is there a spiritual discipline that we need to do? Like I said, these questions have been asked for quite some time, and the Apostle Paul actually addresses them. Maybe not those exact words, but he addresses them in a letter that we have been looking at for the past five weeks. The letter to a church in Colossae, the, the Colossians Paul sent this letter to them, and it is evident, as we have studied it, that Paul is just adamant that Jesus is supreme. He's pretty big on Jesus. Jesus is first. He's preeminent. He's supreme. There's a supremacy of Christ. And we've titled this series, The So What of the Supremacy of Christ. Now, it's not going to surprise us because in the, in the last five weeks, we have done this. When Paul starts to wrestle with how do we grow spiritually, he ties it right back to Jesus. It's really simple. He says, it's not all that other stuff. It's just Jesus. Colossians 2, chapter, six, or ch chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, and now, 
Just as you accepted Christ, Jesus, as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Verse 7 again. Let your roots grow down into Christ. Let your lives be built on Christ. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. How do you grow spiritually? Then your faith will grow strong. Paul says it is as simple as this. Let your roots grow deep into Christ. Build your life on him. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Do we believe it? You know, enough people back in Paul's day didn't to where he felt he had to address this. In fact, this is a letter that Paul is addressing issues that he knows was going on in the church. So there was a group of people uh, in or around the Colossian church that said, wait, 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 you can't grow spiritually just by Jesus. There is a secret sauce to it. They may not have said sauce, but there is a secret sauce to it. This group of people was called the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. It's from the, the root word gnosis, which means knowledge. And they said, in order for you to grow, for anybody to grow, you have to have the secret wisdom. You have to know this, the right magic passwords. You have to sit in on the, on the conversations behind closed doors and in, in hushed voices. Because once you know those, then you will grow spiritually. And man, did they ever make it sound good, too. They had the right people saying the right things, and the, the, the new believers of the Colossian church were like, ooh, that's, that sounds good. I, I want some of that. But Paul says, wait, 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 wait. Guys, listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 4. He says, I'm telling you all this that he's been telling them so far. All this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And then he jumps to verse 8. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-standing nonsense, rather than from Christ. And then he lays it out. He says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ, who was the head over every ruler and authority. Well-crafted arguments, empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense. Other translations say empty deceit. Life can be confusing enough. And then you get somebody who's really, really smart, who knows how to use really, really big words, who is trying to push you away from Jesus, and all of a sudden it really starts to sound like, oh, maybe that person knows what they're talking about. I had a friend who grew up in the church, okay? And the church didn't treat he and his family well, so through that he started questioning church. He started questioning faith. And his freshman year in college, he took a philosophy class. Now, that philosophy professor was not for Jesus. In fact, he was against Jesus. And he used all this great, high-sounding stuff. And my friend said, wow, that sounds right. And he bought into it. And he still buys into it. I'm not against the study of philosophy. Okay? My cousin actually teaches it. 
He's been studying it for years. He's taught it at Notre Dame. He's taught it at Princeton. He's currently teaching it at Boston College. See, he loves that discipline. It's a good discipline to study, but if you're not rooted in Christ, then if the philosophers are saying, this is what you need to base your life on, if there's no roots down deep, then it's going to be easy to to be like, wow, that sounds accurate. Paul says, no, 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 don't get sidetracked. Be grounded in Christ. Your union, your connection to God is because of Christ. Now, here's what I really appreciate about the Apostle Paul. This guy was a smart guy, and he was a vocal guy, and he was an aggressive guy, and he very easily could have said, you Gnostics, you're just dumb. Don't listen to them. They're they're stupid, right? But he doesn't do that. He actually engages them using their language to try and win them as well. Listen to it. Chapter 1, verse 25 and 26. Paul says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and centuries, for generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. Do you hear the language that could have caught their attention? Entire message, kept secret, now revealed. And then he says this in verse 27, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too, and this is the secret, Paul says. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of his glory. That's the secret. You jump down to verse 2, the second half, chapter 2, the second half of verse 2, Paul says, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is saying to the listeners of the letter and to the Gnostics who were trying to convince the Colossian church otherwise, he's saying, listen, you want to grow spiritually, you're not going to find that growth in these big words and in these fancy-sounding speeches. You're going to find it only in Jesus. That's how you will grow. Now, fast forward 2,000 years, and I could ask the question of us. Do we ever get suckered into high-sounding philosophies and well-crafted speeches? Do we ever search for somebody who has just the right words to make us grow spiritually? We don't do that, do we? No. No. What about the times when we're dry spiritually? When it's been a long time since we've experienced growth and and we think maybe if I go to that conference and hear that speaker, or maybe if I read that book from that author who has grown me spiritually in the past, maybe they will have the right words that I'll finally start growing in Christ. I'm guilty of that. I wonder if Paul were here, if he would simply look at us and say, look, First Church, let your roots grow down deep in Christ. Let your lives be built on Christ then you will grow spiritually. How do we grow spiritually? What's the secret sauce? Well, we just crossed that question off, right? What about the long-standing traditions of the church? The things that the church has been doing forever and ever, tried and true traditions. If we do those, won't we grow in our relationship with Christ? Well, people were asking the same questions back in Paul's day. There was a group of people in and around the Colossians church that were traditional Jews. They had come to faith in Christ, 
And yet they were still learning what it meant to to have the supremacy of Christ. And and they were telling the other Colossian Christians, look, if you want to grow in Christ, you've got to, yes, have Jesus, but there's other stuff we have to do that we've done for centuries and centuries as well. You've got to follow those as well. Paul addresses that. Chapter 2, verse 11 and following. Paul says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. But not a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Verse 13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Did you hear the long-time tried-and-true traditions in there? I mean, just right off the bat, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. Long-time Jews traditional Jews. For them, circumcision was the sign that they were part of God's people. It was the way you could tell that you were an insider. And and if you didn't have that, then you were an outsider from the insiders. That was the old system being pushed. And I wonder if when Paul was getting this correspondence back and forth from the Colossian church and that that topic of circumcision came up, I wonder if he just kind of went like this. Oh, Not again. Because he had dealt with that topic thoroughly with the Galatian churches, which geographically were really close by to the Colossian church. So it would have made sense for for that issue to kind of leak over to the other churches. And I wonder if he just said, oh, guys, read the letter that I sent to them. You know, if you're interested, Galatians chapter 2 or Galatians chapter 5, Paul addresses it. He's probably like, no, not the old system. The way things have been for centuries and centuries, laws followed, sacrifice, sacrifices brought, physical procedures performed. That's, that's not the way, guys. That's not the way. I mean, you look at 11 to 15, and this is it summarized. Came to Christ. Christ performed. Buried with Christ. Christ raised from the dead. Alive with Christ. Record of charges canceled because of the cross of Christ. Now, again, I appreciate Paul because much like his not just telling the Gnostics they're dumb, he doesn't just say to the, to the traditional Jews, your way is no good. It's never had any, you know, any, any validity. He doesn't do that. He actually speaks to them in language that they're going to understand. I mean, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. I think Paul is saying, look, I understand that way. And I've practiced that way. And it's been that way for years and years and years. But there's a new way. And to grow spiritually, it's not about sacrifices or a, or a knife. It's, a, it's about Christ. Could we scoff at them? Could we throw stones at them? I will tell you that in the last 12 years of pastoring, I have never had somebody come to me and say, Pastor James, I want to, be, I want to grow spiritually. Would you circumcise me? Never happened. <laughs> Thank God, indeed. 
I have never had somebody walk into my office with a lamb and say, I want to grow spiritually. Would you slit the throat and let's do a sacrifice? It hasn't happened. Okay, so should we throw stones at them? No, because I can't tell you how many times somebody has come to me and said, oh, pastor, I'm just not growing anymore. Do you remember how we used to do it? Do you remember in the old days, this is how we used to do things. This is what we used to do to grow. Couldn't we just go back to that, pastor? Listen, I'm not knocking tradition. I'm not knocking the ways of the church. I deeply, deeply value them. You've got to understand that. Okay, I think that the way people have grown over the years should be passed on to those who are now younger in faith. We need to learn from them. I have quoted Jeremiah 6.16 countless times where the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the old ways and walk in them because then you will find rest for your souls. Oh, I try and live by that. I think there's a richness in what we have done, but too often I and maybe others will bank on, we will count on those old ways as the only way to grow. And yet even as far back in the prophet Isaiah, he's talking about Jesus. He's, he's prophesying about Jesus when he says in Isaiah 43, 19, God says, look, I am doing a new thing. And in that context, that new thing he's talking about is Jesus. So is there old, long-standing traditions that are going to guarantee our spiritual growth? If Paul were here, he would look at us and say, hey, let your roots grow down deep in Christ. Let your lives be built on Christ because then, then your faith will grow. So how do we grow spiritually? Is there a secret sauce? We've crossed that off. Is there long-standing traditions that are going to guarantee our growth? We can't put all our eggs in that basket. So there's got to be some spiritual disciplines that if we do them hard enough and long enough, we'll guarantee our growth, right? Got to be. You've heard me talk about spiritual disciplines over and over over the last decade. I love them. I push them. I encourage them. I quote the Desert Fathers. I talk about Mother Teresa. They did the spiritual disciplines and they grew. So isn't that a guarantee? How about we just let Scripture talk because the Apostle Paul addresses these as well. Verse 16 and following. Paul says, Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or on the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Verse 20. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about the things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering an evil person's desires. And he continues in verse 1, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. 
You know, we've talked about the Gnostics and their secret sauce. We've talked about the Jews and their, their tie to longstanding traditions. The spiritual disciplines were something that both of the groups actually pushed. They both said, if you do these things, you're going to grow. And yet Paul says, no, those don't guarantee a growth. He says the only thing that does is Christ. Verse 17, Christ himself is the reality. In fact, he goes so far as to say the people who are pushing these things aren't connected to Christ. That's verse 19. They're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. He holds the whole body together with his joints and ligaments, and the body grows as God nourishes it. So what grows people towards the Father? What connects them to God? Jesus. That's the bottom line. Jesus does. It's not how good you are at fasting or singing or giving or praying or being in silence or being in solitude, any of those other disciplines. In fact, Richard Foster writes a book. It's one of my favorite books titled Celebration of Discipline. And in the first chapter, he's letting people know who are about to dive into the 12 disciplines he's going to describe. He's letting them know that, listen, just by doing them doesn't guarantee growth. In fact, he says what you're doing is you're tilling the soil of your hearts so that Christ has room to grow. So I would say till the soil with the disciplines so that, as the Apostle Paul says, your roots may grow deep in Christ and your lives may be built on him. Growth is a good thing. So how do we grow spiritually? Paul would say Jesus. Jesus, putting our roots deep in him and building our lives in him. Did we really expect anything different from Paul? The whole letter is about the supremacy of Christ. So we get to the so what. Okay, We've been asking this at the end of every sermon. So what do we do with this? Pastor, I'm a little bit confused because, you know, it sounds like uh, all the things that you've been telling us to do over the years, you're not telling us to do anymore. It sounds like you're saying, uh, don't read additional things. Don't go to conferences. Uh, Don't do things that the church has done that has led towards growth. Don't do the spiritual disciplines. It sounds like you're saying that. I'm, I'm not saying that. Okay, here's the so what. I'm saying keep doing those things, but make sure you're not thinking those are what will cause you to grow. You're remembering that it's Christ that causes you to grow. You're just making yourself available. So here's the so what or the so that. I would encourage you this week, as you do the things that you have done, the the traditions that you have done, the, the time in Scripture, the times in prayer, whatever it is you do to grow closer to Christ, as you do them, right before you simply say, Jesus, I realize this isn't me causing growth, but it's you in me. That's the secret, Christ in me. And then... Let him do the work. Let him do the work. Ultimately, we will grow spiritually. Sound good? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the times where it is not all that difficult, where it is not all that confusing, where it's not... God, thank you that it is simple as Jesus. We want to ask you to help us put our roots down in him and him alone. Forgive us, Father, when we have done things, good things, and put our, put our, our, our hope that those things would grow us. Forgive us for that. 
God, as we do things this week, as we read, as we pray, as we journal, as we fast, as we worship, as we listen to other, uh, other speakers, as we read, God, as we do those things, would you use those to loosen the soil of our hearts so that Christ can grow deeply and our roots may go deeply in him. Help us, Father, build our lives on Christ and Christ alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.